This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 23rd of November 2022 at home in Wicklow. And the broad uh, theme of the episode is the idea of tone. Tone. Tone! (laughs) And I put it into a couple of different contexts. Um, I speak about a funeral I attended recently and how well the priest managed the tone and struck the right tone to put everybody at ease. I look at tone in certain kinds of movies and uh, talk about a couple of test cases there. Uh, I speak also about the auditory experience where we meet sound and tone as vibration. And I talk then at the end of the episode about how the World Cup in Qatar uh, keeps striking the wrong tone and how we can see through the, the spin and the public relations nonsense. So there's all of that uh, coming up. The the piece that I didn't really include to try and tie it all together um, and make it more relevant to the ongoing um, the ongoing kind of driver of the podcast, which is wellness, is to think about tone in terms of one's own life, one's own being. <laughs> and what you know what one's tone is like what's your tone what's the tone the tone or timbre of your own life uh what feels consistent um because it's i think if you think of tone in that way it can it can it can, it can strike it can strike quite deep um and it's it's sort of the mood and the energy and the vibration that you bring to proceedings are how you chime with the world and chime with life. Anyway, I didn't talk about that, <laughs> but I talked about a lot of other things. So that's what's coming up. I hope you can find time to, to listen. And of course, I hope you enjoy it. OK, I'll see you around the corner. Cheers. Not going to change my mind. Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for bringing your your ears and yourself, the self that is attached to those ears and the brain that lies between those ears, the heart that lies somewhere below those ears (laughs) and all the other physical attributes that allow you to be present and maybe the other things that allow you to bring your mind your mind to bear on whatever it is that brought you here um so yes here we are it's 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 cold it is cold it's getting colder all the time <laughs> after some very mild wet weather we're finding in some cold more winter-like days. It still feels like late autumn, even though it's coming to the end of November. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I've been uh, hugging, hugging the stove, embracing it like an old friend. <laughs> Heat me, warm me, hold me close. Um, yeah, so in brief, if this is your first time to visit, to visit the, the podcast, your first time to come and listen to the tell. What I do here is reflect on anything connected to wellness and coping in the world and writing the ship of oneself. And it can be rambly, it can be spiky, it can be soggy. <laughs> I pretty much stay around that theme. The theme is survival. The theme, the theme, the team, the team is survival. This is the survival team. That's the death team. Let's stay on the survival team because we want to survive. The theme, that's with a TH, the theme is survival. The tone is contemplative, reflective. Sometimes amused, often bemused, definitely sometimes confused, diffused, diffused. So that's what goes on here. Explorations of emotional and psychological well-being and trying not to get too pious and pompous and performative about it, but trying to keep it real as much as we can. Now, yeah, it's been it's been a funny time, um, and not funny, ha ha, funny, peculiar, funny, a little bit discombobulating, a little bit unsettling. Um, yeah, there's been some end of life experiences, and that stuff is challenging. There's no two ways about it. There is no two ways about it. There are no two ways about it. And uh, just before I pressed record, I came in here to the little the little home studio in hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. I came in here to record. I'm on the clock, as I have been for the last few weeks, just with it being kind of busy. Um, but I just received a text to tell me a friend of the family passed away two nights ago and um yeah a friend a good friend of my parents who was very much one of the uh the crew one of the the group um uh, at closer proximity at different times over the years um this guy who uh, was a big fan of my wife's music and would regularly be present at her, her various gigs in the area over the years um I one of my favorite memories of him is at my 21st in my parents house uh that would be what 27 nearly 28 years ago and I just have this <laughs> I have this image of him ranting and railing at a room full of what he considered apathetic 20 year olds or 21 year olds or 22 year olds young people, young adults, 
and he was he must have been he would have been uh he would have he would have been somewhat inebriated but he was he was in no way incoherent and he was close to I mean, apoplectic is probably un- an unfair characterization of how angry he felt. But it was indignation and it was passion and it was disgust. <laughs> and it was, yeah, it was just a very uh, unequivocal accusation of of apathy directed at those present, you know, which would have been my friends and, you know, maybe some cousins and whoever um and he was just going get up get up you've got to care you've got to get involved do something do something and just standing there shouting um and i think even then i just instinctively understood i didn't think he was a crank i didn't think he was nuts i thought no this is this is coming from a good place it's coming from a real place a real place of conscience and and care um, and a desire for the work the work to carry on and and he worked in he worked in news he was a news editor for the national broadcaster here in uh, in Ireland um, so yeah so I literally just got that news um, moments before uh, pressing record and um yeah, it's it's um, <sighs> it's challenging. It's challenging to to suddenly it feels like just to be losing people. These uh, these figures and these men, um, to whom I've been, uh, you know, relatively close. Um, even if from distance, to regard these men with uh, affection. I mentioned last week how. Um, a member of the extended family passed away a couple of weeks ago and uh, I attended I was in attendance at his his funeral at the start of last week um, and I mean I'm happy to say it was it was a lovely funeral it was really nice and yes it was a, a Catholic funeral and there was probably a couple of hundred people in attendance and um, various family members and friends and work colleagues and sports colleagues, people who had trained um, with this guy and had been trained by him, members of the the Gaelic football fraternity community uh, who gave him a guard of honour as he was carried into the church. Um, But to my great uh, relief, I suppose, and a relief that grew to sort of admiration um, and generous amusement. The uh, the priest who officiated at the funeral service uh, was an older Irish countryman. Um, I didn't get to find out where he was from, but he just he just struck the right tone right from the off, um, and set the congregation at ease. And was just, yeah, he was funny, but not inappropriate. And he just managed everything really well. And one of the things that impressed me most, there was a sort of an honesty to his, 
I think an honesty to his reckoning of where faith sits in the modern Irish community and of maybe where Catholicism sits in the contemporary Irish frame of reference. Um, And he recognises it without being, well, certainly without presenting anger or, or judgment or disappointment or resentment of people who've turned away from the church. And there would have been many people in that congregation who uh, I would have perceived as being non-churchgoers or perhaps you know, some I would have known personally who are atheists like myself. Um, very much uh, you know, a large secular contingent in the congregation. And the um, the the priest was able to, to, to look that straight in the straight in the eye and be unfazed and recognize that faith and belief in the resurrection uh, are not popular concepts or and certainly not as popular as they once were. Um, and what really impressed me that he was very clearly comfortable with his own position and very clearly devoted to his vocation and absolutely unafraid to bring a vitality to his his representation of that belief and that faith um, and a, there's a, I, I, I felt a uh, a steeliness and um, a resoluteness and an absolute comfort with his relationship with faith and his relationship with being a priest and being an advocate for for faith and for the Catholic faith specifically. But he just brought a very, what I felt was a very thoughtful and compassionate and humanist um, you know interpretation or tone to how he incorporated the strength of his convictions into the sermon and into how he officiated and it was it, it, it just made it just made all the difference because I've, I've attended funerals when that hasn't been the case and the the priests have felt very out of touch and very removed from the 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 the, the feeling of the times very removed from a real sense of connection or feeling for the people in front of them and that to me feels like a, a dereliction of duty it feels like a a failure to interrogate their own beliefs and a failure to respect the people who come into the house of God, if you want to put it that way. So, um, yeah, I was quite, I was quite inspired and and moved by this priest. Uh, I thanked him afterwards, and it really did help. I think help everyone sort of sit there with their with their grief and their 
their love and their regard for um for the deceased um and sort of gave the priest kind of gave permission i suppose for and i think this is what i think this is what a strong faith should do it gave people permission to be there and observe their their farewell and observe their grief with 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 dignity with the space to feel welcome and how they and however they chose to be there or whatever they brought they were welcome and um yeah i just thought that was nice and i mean you know the, the, the priest even he said himself you know um he had to get a couple of people up from the congregation to uh, help uh, be ministers of the communion and um he uh, he sort of made the the the, the quip <laughs> he made that we're not we're not used to crowds like this around here which was a, a very honest acknowledgement that congregations have have dwindled and are not what they once were and i think there are some some of us who um to an extent celebrate that and that, I don't mean that in a mean-spirited way, but they celebrate, well, you know, there's a there's a rebuilding. So much damage was done. There was so much dishonesty and hypocrisy and congregations full of people who were there because of fear and shame and guilt. Um, and it reflected the power that the Catholic Church had in Irish society. And that is just not the case anymore. And the acceleration away from that, which I've commented on before, has been something to behold. Um, but, you know, and, and my thinking is, you know, just look at it for what it is. If the, if the people who want to be there want to be there, give them, give them your best, give them your best, um, your best self in that role. If you're the, if you're the priest and go, well, they want to be here and they're still here so that's what counts um it's a bit of a <laughs> it's you know it, 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 it's the thing of to draw an analogy back to, to to acting you go you go out there and you perform regardless of the size of the audience um people have uh, people have turned up for the show so give them a show and that's my attitude to teaching martial arts as well if people want to come and be taught, um, for me it's kind of vocational, and maybe you know, and maybe that's that's the connective tissue. Um, people have come and gone. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here for the thing, and you're the person who's going to give me the thing. And if I'm not here, you can't give it to me. So it is an exchange. It it, it depends on the participant, the audience member, the congregant. It depends on someone saying, I'm here for the exchange. And yeah, it's um, for me, there's a there's a there's a purity and a, a kind of a, a nobility um, and a dignity in going, I'm going to give it everything I've got, no matter what. I'm going to be fully present, fully committed, fully aligned with the beliefs that informed my decision to be here in the first place to choose this path in the first place and then there's an opportunity for um for a a quality experience 
there's an opportunity for a heightened, enriched, meaningful human exchange. Um, and, and that also applies to teaching, by the way. Going into a classroom, I always tried to, as much as was possible, depending on who I was teaching, <laughs> I always tried to bring that sort of attitude to bear. Um, yeah, so anyway, um, yeah, I'm a little bit thrown. I'm a little bit thrown by that news. Um, I don't know. Again, I mean, I, I, I mentioned an episode or two ago that uh, to talk about to talk about grief would maybe require an entire episode. Um, I don't feel like this is the episode that that that's going to focus on that, but. I will say just briefly, um, my belief is that grief is organic and grief needs to express itself in as natural a way as possible, in as natural a way as the individual can manage, in as natural a way as society will allow space for and i think that is i think that's a very key component of of grief of how society observes the the sort of the sanctity of of death and how it, as I said, how it allows the space or creates the space for people to mark the moment. And the furthest, the further one is from the, the, the person who dies, the typically it's, 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 it's the outer, outer ripple of grief. But I always think of the people closest to someone who has passed away. Um, and think their journey goes much longer their journey with grief lasts much longer because the 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 depth the sort of profundity of the grief it's a much larger animal to to wrangle um and requires it requires a lot of different resources um and a breadth of of emotional capacity to to allow it to sort of to settle to to kind of bleed out i think um until it can sit in a place that is less painful or or less overwhelming and um can sit in a place where other aspects of the relationship with that person can can breathe again in a way that hurts less um yeah so i think that you know the the organic nature of it means it can be messy it's not something that can just be parceled away and I remember writing about it before on the um the the, the website, the blog, um 
which is now it's now defunct by the way um just in case you're tempted to go and seek it out but there is a new website coming soon enough ish kind of <laughs> it's a work in progress and uh, my man daniel um hola muchacho que tal uh daniel my friend who has helped me with the um the artwork for the podcast and he's been working on the website for a while but has been very busy himself with his own full-time job and is just trying to kind of squeeze in what he can do but i i know it's uh i know it's a priority and um yeah that will be coming soon but anyway and on that will be all the old things, all the old articles, the blog posts um, and pieces that I put on the website over whatever it was, eight and a half years. Um, but I remember writing about grief that there's there's no sort of expiry date and there's no time span you can impose on grief. Um, and I think it's 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 an emotion or an experience or something that lives inside you that can surprise you with its power and its longevity um and so i just kind of go i i would I'd, i would never make an assumption that someone is like are you better now is that is it done are you okay is it is the grief gone now you're you're all happy again is it i just think no that's that's not really how it works is it uh so anyway anyway there's uh yeah someone else now to mourn sadly and uh yeah just thinking of his uh his family members and closer friends at this time now today i had actually i did have something a bit a bit planned as usual you know a bit loosely planned i, I wanted i wanted to talk about tone um, tone in I mean I suppose it, it can apply anywhere I, w- I was thinking primarily about movies now I, I referred a few moments ago to how the priest at that funeral service I was at he had he just hit the right tone um, that allowed everyone to sort of feel comfortable and feel yeah we're in safe hands here Um and even it's funny. Even at even at the graveside after the funeral, he'd been he, the priest had been asked just to you know look keep it fairly simple, and he did, and he he kind of wrapped up and just said very simply, um, that's uh, that that's all I can do for you folks, um, and there was there was a kind of a. Like it was a funny thing to say, as in you know, funny, amusing, but there was a sort of a a humility to the honesty of that and a gentleness to how he said it that again felt very appropriate. Um, and I've observed it a couple of times at funerals. There's nothing quite like the moment when the that that the finality the last act of the service is the you know a coffin being put into a grave or the final words being said over that grave um or a coffin disappearing behind a screen in a crematorium um uh, i feel like that people will kind of manage 
their emotions until that moment. And then the absolute full stop of this is the last public acknowledgement of that life. And now you're on your own is, um, yeah, it's very, it's very powerful um, and quite confronting. Um, yeah. I, don't, I, <laughs> I, 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 you mean, contrary to the, this subject matter, I mean, I'm not feeling especially morbid or anything like that. I'm, I'm, I've just lost my thread there where I was going with that. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I was still talking about tone. Um, yeah, that priest. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so fond of him in my, in my, in my mind. But, um, that idea then of being in in safe hands, I I feel like tone is such a, an intuitive thing. The the recognition of tone, it's because it's it's a type of energy and it's a combination of factors that allows people to to be comfortable in the setting that they recognise they're in, and. It's 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 not always about propriety because you know you can strike a you know particular tone that might fly in the face of that, um, but it is I think it is a very particular skill. And if we're talking about um, if we're talking about movies, it I think it's one of the hardest things to manage, um, and. I was thinking about it in the context of a couple of <laughs> a couple of movies I I watched or attempted to watch at the at the weekend. So maybe it's because my my wife and daughter are away. But I thought, do you know what? I'll sit down and and I'll watch. I, I think I've been listening to a podcast revisiting uh, Sandra Bullock's career, and she did quite a few romantic comedies. I thought, oh, maybe I'll watch one of those. I remember liking Sandra Bullock a lot when uh, she kind of came to prominence in the, the mid-90s. And I thought, oh, yeah, she's cool. And I thought she was very attractive. And I liked her her persona on screen. Um, so anyway, at the weekend, I thought, Asher, look, I'll, I'll throw on an old Sandra Bullock movie. And there was one I hadn't seen uh, on Netflix called um, Two Weeks Notice. And I quickly scanned the reviews and they were like, eh, it's okay, it's grand. It's, you know, she and Hugh Grant, who was the the love interest um, opposite her, um, they kind of, you know, they're a throwback to the older, maybe screwball comedies or maybe Tracy Hepburn kind of stuff, um, movies that I loved growing up. Um, and... You know, the, the, the reviews were a little bit, you know, they were critical of the direction, saying the direction's not particularly good or imaginative, but the strength of Sandra Bullock and Hugh Grant will sustain you. So I thought, okay, I can, I can probably handle this. Anyway, I stuck it on and um, I lasted five minutes and 41 seconds and I had to turn it off. It was so bad. It was so appallingly bad. And I was... I was trying to go, what, why is that so bad? The, and it was like, it was the tone, like it's the feel, the tone. Now, Sandra Bullock was fine. Um, 
as this sort of young idealistic lawyer um trying to find you know where she could where she could thrive and make a difference um i didn't wait for i didn't wait for her to meet hugh grant but hugh grant is introduced as this uh oh god i can't even remember but some corporate idiot um at some hospital fundraiser and he's just doing a lot of you know deadpan glib hugh granting all over the place but like watching the performance it, it was kind of the worst of hugh grant um i think when he i mean i don't know if he was phoning it in i mean he was he, this is what he was asked to do by the director but there was such a sort of a a deadness and inertness in his in his performance there was a lack of love or energy or spark or animation you know under the surface um i just thought oh i can't i can't i cannot stay with this um i think i think for me hugh grant like he was always this kind of upper class fop um kind of damp eyed and drippy um that kind of repressed english buffoon um but then when he did about a boy with uh, tony collette and the young nicholas holt i thought he was really funny in that <laughs> i really enjoyed his performance in that and i feel that was a i think that was a bit of a you know a turnaround moment in his career and in recent years he's kind of been getting better and better and just bringing a sort of a knowingness to his his comic roles and a little edge to them um he's very funny in the the second paddington movie um yeah and he even had fun in that really not good uh, guy Ritchie movie the gentleman as a pretty over-the-top tabloid journalist which was his way of getting payback um for how the english tabloids had stuck their oar into his life so um unscrupulously um but in any case five minutes and 41 seconds i had to bail i was like what the hell was i thinking (laughs) this was truly heinous and instead i then sat down and watched hal ashby's 1978 movie coming home which I'd only seen once before, probably about 30 years ago. And my memory of it was it's it's fundamentally a romance, that movie. Um, a fundamentally a romance between Jane Fonda and John Voight as a, as a wheelchair-bound Vietnam veteran who's lost the, the use of his legs. Um, and... Bruce Dern was the third cog in the uh, the sort of in the wheel of complicated love. Bruce Dern was another military man, the husband of uh, of Jane Fonda, and he is very much, you know, the career army man. He's a captain, and 
you can tell he's quite self-important and has stars in his eyes about what he's going to do when he when he goes over and he's pretty pretty uh, representative of the man uh, whereas John Voigt becomes very representative of the sort of counterculture and the hippie and sort of a an antecedent of the Ron Kovic character um, as portrayed by Tom Cruise in Born on the Fourth of July and the movie is imperfect um, but there is a tone that is sustained throughout the movie that means even though it's imperfect it's very easy to stick with and there's that great thing that a lot of 70s movie makers had in Hollywood where they just let the camera be they're not intrusive particularly Hal Ashby and one of the opening sequences in the movie is simply a bunch of guys at the the uh, the sort of veterans hospital um, playing pool and discussing the merits of going to Vietnam um, you know the merits are the the flaws in going to Vietnam and he just lets the camera move around the room. These are a bunch of guys in wheelchairs playing pool and exchanging their opinions in a very naturalistic way. John Voigt is in there. And my instinct, and I hadn't remembered from the first time I watched it, but my instinct was these are non-actors. Um, but there was a just, it didn't, they didn't, you know, it just felt very real and very authentic Um and I feel like that was a, it was great strength of a lot of seventies movies coming out of coming out of Hollywood that these directors just had a a feel or an instinct for it's going to let the camera be here and let let this play out and even as we trans you know we transition into then the more conventional story of uh, this kind of blossoming attraction between the sort of waspy. Jane Fonda character and John Voight sort of finding his his anger assuaged and dampened, calmed down by the uh, attention of Jane Fonda who decides to volunteer at the hospital while Bruce Stern is away in, in Vietnam and this sort of love develops between she and John Voight um, and it's really nice uh, you know it, it's played very well it's played very yeah it, like it's pretty conventional but it's played very gently there's a sort of a, a tempo that's that's easy and they're not trying to force anything so there's just this nice chemistry between them um and you know even though I, I never for a second felt like I wasn't watching these actors um there was something again just about the the tone of the movie that allows it to breathe uh and as the movie progresses and comes to its sort of climax it's it's less it's less satisfying and there's something just about the the story itself just losing a bit of incision um and losing a bit of tightness that would have maybe brought home a more um, satisfying conclusion 
still still some good moments at the end but in a way i felt bruce the bruce dern character was underserved a little bit um and john voigt his kind of his journey to just a very kind of mellow chilled out thoughtful hippie type was a bit too neat um Although he had, he has, yeah, yeah, you know, he has a nice scene addressing a gym full of aspiring soldiers, um, high school kids, where he kind of tries to explain, um, war ain't all you think it is. Um, but in any case, so that's coming home. Which um, did it win the did it win the Oscar for best movie back in the day? It may have, it may have. I mean, that's where I would have first come to it. I remember. Um, when I left, <laughs> when I left primary school, did I mention this before? When I left primary school, my my teacher gave me a little sort of mini encyclopedia, a little hand sized, you know, handbook uh, called Fact Finder, and there were two pages in it dedicated to the Oscar winners for best movie. Was it best movie and then all the acting categories? Best actor and best actress, best supporting actor, best supporting actress. And those two pages became my 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 kind of my my Bible of these are the movies I have to see. These are the movies I have to tick off um as I see them to to educate myself. Um because as a 12 year old or 11 year old however however old I was I just thought that that was the standard like if it's won the Oscar whether you know if that person's won the best acting Oscar if that movie's won the best picture Oscar that's the standard that's the gold standard this stuff must be you know these things have to be seen um I don't I don't quite feel that way anymore um the Oscars um they are what they are (laughs) It's a it's a flawed a flawed vehicle. What sort of vehicle is that? It's flawed, sir. It's flawed. Um, but yeah, tone, tone is the thing, and I think in you know in, in comedies and romances, I think on in in the movies, like tone is one of the hardest things to get right. Um, and comedies coming out of America, certainly in recent years, ha- and when I say recent years, I mean the last 10, 15 years, um, comedies have sort of just tried to do too much. And I think they, they present a very confused tone um, where they're trying to be very sincere sort of human stories as well as comedies. And it usually means the director feels compelled, and I'm looking at you, Judd Apatow, it usually feels the director is compelled to stick an extra 45 to 50 minutes onto the running time. Um, and there's nothing quite like... <laughs> there's there's nothing quite like too much time to take all the humour out of a out of a joke. Um, so, I mean, and certainly some, that's something I'm guilty of. <laughs> But tone, tone, and then like romances that maybe are just too wet 
and drippy and soggy um and it's funny i was thinking like two 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 movies that i liked i mean i i really really liked and i've mentioned this before and i still haven't gone and done the research to find out why it's it's not really it doesn't seem to be that popular with um with with critics of note but silver linings playbook david o russell's movie from um gosh what year was that was that 2010 11 12 um silver linings playbook and coincidentally another movie starring bradley cooper his own a star is born which both movies i really really like and star is born i'm going to throw into the romance category and i think bradley cooper just nailed the tone he nailed the tone so well and in silver linings playbook which is sort of romantic comedy or dramedy if you prefer um i i really like the tone of that movie as well and there's they're two very different bradley cooper performances um like his sort of high octane intensity his kind of manicness in silver linings playbook um serves the 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 comic elements very well and i like his his chemistry with jennifer lawrence who brings her own thing her own kind of (laughs) her own sort of directness and frankness um and strength as a performer um to proceedings which makes her more than an equal for for bradley cooper who can be a very strong flavor as a performer um there's no doubt about that but then when you look at his performance in a star is born um opposite lady gaga who she was revelatory in that with what she brought um just a real nice warm human performance um and his kind of druggy drinky spiraling out of control um performance was i thought was was brilliant um and very affecting and his his struggle with alcoholism and his struggle with depression and guilt and shame um and how poorly he he treats uh ali the lady gaga character at different times um i believed it i believed it and i thought the 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 tone maybe until the very end i don't i don't love the end of that movie um but that said the end of the movie i I did a whole episode on a star is born and the other versions the other movie the other movie versions of a star is born i did an episode on that last year where i kind of looked at the the strengths and weaknesses of the the other movies but um for me those those two movies silver linings playbook and a star is born the bradley cooper version from uh again <laughs> i lose track of, of the years of recent movies um that must have been 2000 and what was it 2000 17 2018 um really 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 good and to bring it back then to bring it back to the um the feeling of we're in the right place and the people in charge 
are putting us at ease and they're managing things well and this is this is the right vibe this is the right tone so i can park my reservations i mean that's kind of what it is isn't it i can park my reservations i can relax that part of my brain that is kind of on high alert because it's all good um and as i say uh that can that 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 doesn't just that doesn't only pertain to movies um you know if you, if i if i think about the, the talking about bruce springsteen and and bono last week and and spike lee these are guys who are masters of their own tone and very comfortable with their own brand of of storytelling very comfortable with their vocation um which sure there's a you know i think there's a necessary egotism with with any uh creative person with any artist um and i i believe i i i believe i was looking at um a res- the response of uh an old acting colleague of mine who's now the co-director of the the the, the national theater here in ireland um mark o'brien was he was dying to go and see but he's a huge u2 fan and he was dying to go and see bono uh do his show about his his kind of his life story based you know this this autobiography he's just written and he's doing a, a show with it um and he was mark was raving about uh you know bono's performance and his how he could have been as great an actor as he has been a sort of a a rock and roll man um and (laughs) i mean bono he's bono is a certain tone and i'm not sure if i can handle it even though i was acknowledging the things I, i i respect about his his consistency over the last 40 odd years um yeah but tone it's i mean of course it can be on another level tone can just be an an auditory experience we're talking about sounds and sensitivity to sounds um i had i had two migraines um over three days or four days no three (laughs) sunday migraine on sunday no migraine monday migraine on tuesday very strange in recent i've only started kind of getting migraines recently um in my life Uh, i don't get them that often thankfully um they're quite yeah they're pretty pretty disruptive but um i had my second migraine in three days yesterday um and at a certain point I, i was outside and a house alarm went off across the road and the tone of that alarm was hitting me in my guts and i know it was because i had a migraine on another day it wouldn't have bothered me so much and there was a horse in a in a field across from the house and when the alarm went off the horse started jumping around the field like it was highly agitated it did so subsequently calm down and then at a certain point that alarm went off i didn't even notice i was just like oh the alarm's gone off um as in turned off but um yeah the 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 idea of tone 
just being something auditory, something sensory that doesn't allow us to settle again. Um, I was listening to something. Where was I? I was doing something. And there was a tone in my ears that was like a, a deep rumble. Like the rumble of if you've ever been on a on a, a you know big ship or a, a car ferry, um, I remember travelling over to London as a child, and you travel from Dunleary to Holyhead uh, in Wales, and then get a train from Holyhead down to London, over to London, across to London, and um, I remember I used to love being on the the ship, the car ferry, before it left port. And you'd be on it for a while before everyone was on board and they closed the doors. And then the engine would kick in and there'd just be this deep, deep rumble from the bottom of the the boat. (laughs) And I used to think, oh, it's the coolest sound. And then that rumble, that kind of hum, the deep hum and rumble of the engine moving that huge vessel through the water. I just used to think it would remain for the entire journey. And I used to think it is the coolest thing. Um, and I was thinking then last week, whatever, whatever I was doing, however I ended up with that sound in my ears of this kind of rumbly hum, I was like, oh, that's a, for me anyway, I thought that's a very soothing sound. <laughs> it's very comforting. Um, and of course, it's a vibration, isn't it? Like that's the thing. And of course, then it comes back to then a vibe and it's energy and it's something that we feel um and so when there can be the temptation to dismiss that sort of hippie vernacular uh of the vibe i felt a bad vibe i didn't like the vibes i was getting and we can be a bit you know we i say we i mean i (laughs) i can be a bit dismissive and caustic caustic around you know the use of that word and it can it can fall into a sort of a a stereotype of hippie drippiness but um in actual fact in actual fact you know underneath it all of course i'm a big hippie myself Um, (laughs) i'm all about the love i'm all about the love and i'm all about that sensitivity to to vibe the vibe like the vibe is right or the vibe is wrong um, and I think we all get it. I think, you know, intuitively, it's, it's, a, it's a very instinctive, intuitive animal response. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, the idea of a, of a vibe, like in, in the house at the moment, in hashtag blessed, like I've got these kind of comedy vibes with, um, I've got, we've got the older cat, Marlon, who is, yeah, who who must be pretty much senile at this point. And sometimes she just doesn't seem to know what she wants to do or where she wants to be. Um, but whatever it is, it seems to involve her going to the door to be let out as soon as I sit down. So I'll sit down having done whatever domestic stuff I have to do. I'm going, okay, cool. I can sit down now and have a coffee or I can sit down now and eat my dinner. And then this cat will be wailing at the door to be let out and I go I don't think you want to go out it's slashing rain but I'll let her out and off she goes um, or I'll have just rescued her from outside and brought her back in and then she goes straight back to the door no I want to go out um, and I'm like what is in your head you 
crazy old cat. And that's fine. So whatever I have to do to deal with her, I do. And then there's the other lunatic, the the kitten, who's like whatever, over a year old. That's Ruby. And you know, she has a few she has a few tricks up her sleeve. And she has been sticking them in my face recently. So her one might be to just suddenly appear at the window. Um you know, claws into the bottom of the window pane to, you know, big dark eyes looking in at you, you know, set in a furry head. And she'll be kind of hanging on for dear life by her little claws and kind of looking at you like, are you going to let me in or what? And I'm like, yeah, of course I'll let you in. Just give me a second. And then she comes in and the first thing she does is she'll try and go and eat whatever food is left in the other cat's bowl, which is verboten as they say in germany and so i have to try and stop her doing that 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 can that can involve some cruelty to cats i'm joking okay everyone relax everyone relax i'm not cruel to the cats but um she came in the other day and i think i'd given her her breakfast she came in i let her in and i was like you're not getting any more food don't even be looking for it and she looked at me kind of going i'm not going to mess with this guy and I could see her sniffing around the other cats. So I put the other cat's bowl away. Grand. And I'm like sitting down to have my breakfast. I think, okay, I'm just, I just did a quick mental check. And I was like, okay, there's nothing out. Because she likes to get up on the counter and lick the butter. She likes to get up on the counter. I'm going to say it again. She likes to get up on the counter and lick the butter. So I have on occasion found tongue. <laughs> <laughs> tongue marks on the butter that abrasive that abrasive cat's tongue the sandpaper cat's tongue licked all over a block of butter that's been left exposed on the counter so make sure the butter's covered that's grand so I'm very I'm, I'm delighted with myself and I'm thinking I haven't left anything exposed in the kitchen which is out of my line of vision um, and I'm thinking cool everyone's under control the greedy kitten isn't going to get any more food than she deserves or needs. And I'm just eating me whatever, having me toast or coffee or whatever. And the cat's kind of gone towards the kitchen. And then a few moments later, emerges from that side of the room. And I can see she's she stops. She kind of stops and looks at me and then she's kind of licking her paw. <laughs> and licking her, <laughs> licking her chops, as they say. And I'm like, what the hell? What 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 could she have got into? Because that's the sign of a cat who's just eaten something and is feeling pretty pleased with itself. So I went into the kitchen and then I realised I'd left the <laughs> I'd left the jug of the jug of uh, of milk a jug of milk beside the coffee machine. That just a little bit of jug a little bit of a little bit of jug in a milk a little bit of milk in a jug that I was going to use to you know to froth the milk for my coffee and the blooming kitten had jumped up beside the coffee machine and had sat there dipping her paw in the jug and licking it and having a great time and so I go over and it's just like these little you know paw prints and spilt you know drips of milk around the jug and I was going oh you little I won't I won't use the language I used but I had to take my hat off and go well played madam well played you uh you caught me there um tone 
the tone is a comedy tone. Yeah, so trying to manage these cats. And then on the other side of the room, you have the guinea pigs chirruping away, going, where's the grass, man? Come on, we need our weed. We need our weed. Give it to us, bro. We're ready. We're ready. We've got the vibe right in our little compound. Give us the weed. So, um, but they kind of take care of themselves, those guinea pigs. Um, And then I've got the chickens. (laughs) Just to add, just to add, just to complete the picture. I've got the chickens on lockdown because of the bird flu that's in Ireland at the moment. And the chickens have to be locked down. So they're up in their coop. And they're just, I guess they're, they're the uh, the survival team at the moment because they're up there, just the three of them, Bobo, Charlotte and Edwina, Edwina the rooster. Um, bit of confusion there around the, the, the gender, but whatever. Uh, they're up there in the, in the coop doing their own thing, looking pretty scraggly because the weather's been pretty rough. They choose to roost on top of the hen house and not go inside, even though there's a lovely bed of sawdust in there for them. Um, so I drop in on them once a day just to check, see how things are going, give them some chicken feed, chicken feed, <laughs> chicken feed, replenish their water stocks. Um, and I'm not, I, I don't find them that cuddly, the chickens, and I'm a bit paranoid about what might be, you know, lurking in their feathers. Um, and one of them, I, I mentioned a few weeks ago, one of them has been, has been shedding her, her feathers are coming back. Um, she's starting to look quite quite handsome that's a handsome chicken um so yeah it's it is it, it, it's comedy comedy critters down here in hashtag blessed um now i mentioned the block of butter and that reminded me i had a big bowl of porridge this morning and i put a knob of butter in my porridge what do you think of that that was something that's something that somebody put me onto years ago years ago i think 96 (laughs) the summer of 96 i was down in thomastown in the county of kilkenny and i was larking around pursuing a girl down there and one of her friends a puppet maker called tommy said do you ever put a bit of butter in your porridge so i tried that and it was very nice and i was reminded of it somehow it came to mind recently and i said oh yeah i'll try that again just a little knob of butter in the porridge to give it a bit of a butterscotchy flavor it's quite tasty um and i was thinking about that that sentence a knob of butter in your porridge and i was trying to put that into a tone context a tone and i just thought it was ripe for ridiculousness um particularly if you jump to the obvious wrong note of bit of a bit of old sexual innuendo, how are you? Did you ever stick a knob of butter into your oats? <laughs> I love the way it melts. I love the way it oozes and, and mixes in with the oatmeal. The porridge it gets all sticky do you like that do you ever like a bit of butter in your oats <laughs> ah good luck good luck now listen one one final thing okay one final thing in this area of 
tone. And this may be a recurring theme um, over the next couple of episodes. And I'm going to try not to stay too long on it because it just it gets me too revved up. The Qatar Bloodfest 2022 continues. Continues to roll on after uh, an inauspicious prologue. Um, I'm not watching it, basically. Um, I, I, f- I just find it hard to... I'm finding it hard to let my, my, my love of football, my enjoyment of football, I'm finding it hard to let that trump the sense of wrongness about this tor- tournament. I'm finding it hard to... I'm finding it hard to permit myself to watch the football um, because the whole thing just seems so steeped in blood and disregard for human life uh, based on the, the, the number of migrant workers who have who are reported to have died during the building of the stadiums in Qatar. The, 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 the stink the stink of corporate greed and hypocrisy coming from FIFA, the the World Soccer Organization, the the sort of aggression of of the sort of forward facing representatives of Qatar, basically saying this is how we are, you know, like it or lump it, um, you know, we got the tournament and. You know, you can basically feck off if you don't like our culture and our our stances on women's rights, workers' rights, gay rights, and the um, the ultimate fu was uh, also we've decided at the eleventh hour that we're not going to allow alcohol in the in the stadiums. Now, for me as someone who who struggles with. Um, alcohol getting a green light um in certain cultures to ridiculous extents um there was a part of me that just goes yeah grand because i don't go to sport if i when i go to sports events i never ever have that association of yeah i'm going to drink my head off because that'll enhance my enjoyment of this experience i am there for the sport and that's it and um drinking doesn't add to it for me um so I don't particularly have any issue with like no alcohol being allowed in, particularly when for some members of the uh, the sporting fan base, um, that's a massive generalization, but some members of the sporting fan base and the soccer fan base, that drunkenness can morph into something very nasty and sinister and messed up. And, you know, you got to remind yourself that, you know, children... Children go to to sports events and when you've got drunken sports fans taking the lid off and they become all id and just vent their anger and rage and disgust and seem to access uh, an extraordinary vocabulary of expletives um, with which to damn the players that have let them down and bring that rage to bear on how they communicate that it's um it's pretty it's pretty ugly stuff it's pretty ugly energy um 
it's uh, and it's definitely not the right vibe so i'm like okay you know no booze at the stadium you know for me no big deal and i, I have read some people responding to that online and kind of saying the same thing well it's not my not part of my belief system or it's a religious thing or it's part of my faith so it'll be nice to go to a stadium and not have to be faced with that so um you know that's um that 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 one is there are some merits to that but um but overall overall the 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 sense when you're listening to the head of fifa uh gianni infantino trying to um do this sort of public relations management um, and spin the the sort of media disaster, really, that the, the Qatar World Cup is, trying to spin that into something else and trying to knock away the, the, the accusations of hypocrisy, the allegations of human rights abuses, the, the moral dubiousness or wrongness of um you know gay rights being um being what i can't think of the right word not violated um but just not allowed not being given admission not being a part of what's there um being referred to as a a disease of the mind and by a qatari representative and you have stuff like that, and then FIFA and Infantino going, no, you know, football, you know, the, 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 the values of football unite the world. And you're kind of going, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Um, it's just, it's ludicrous. The, the lack of integrity, the lack of honesty, and this Egypt of a man um trying to go i you know i am a migrant worker i am i am gay i am i am the wronged one i understand i get it you know and, and there's part of my there's a part of me that kind of goes yeah probably on some level he believes that he probably believes that i know what it is to suffer i know what it is to be discriminated against i know what it is to be the outsider now what he cited was <laughs> He cited being an Italian um, kid, a child of Italian parents in Switzerland. And also, if that wasn't bad enough to be, um, and I know Italy is more than, uh, it's more than the uh, the cliche of, you know, the, the passionate, you know, Italian, Latin um, <laughs> person. Um, I know there are other types of Italians, but let's say for argument's sake that, um, the young Infantino was from that book of, you know, hot-blooded, expressive, voluble, colourful Italians, and then finds himself amongst the um, the very controlled and moderate and considered and well-behaved Swiss. I mean, that would have been, you know, there's a, there's a conflict there, there, definitely. But as if that wasn't bad enough, Infantino says... And also, I had a, a red a hair and a freckles. I don't think that's what he sounds like, but in my mind, that's what he sounds like. A red a hair and a freckles. And I'm like, oh, Infantino, where you and I are kin. 
we're, 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 we're brothers because I too was a child with red hair and freckles. And now I'm a man with red hair and fewer freckles and it's kind of, my hair is less vibrant shade of red than it once was. And one of my friends, um, Ian, how are you lad? If you're listening, you might, you may not be. I don't think you listen that often. If, um, you know, in fact, rarely is what I believe. And that's okay. That's your right. But I did, I did refer to my friend Ian, whose nickname in university, given to him by overseas students from America, they referred to him as Big Red. There's Big Red. Because <laughs> Ian's, he's a tall man, he's a big man, and he's got a lovely head of red hair. Gorgeous. Only gorgeous. Um, and Ian, Ian, you know, Ian pointed this out to me. He said, Infantino, he's one of us. The red-haired, freckled lad. Um, maybe think of the Sherlock Holmes short story, the yeah, the red-headed league. Um, isn't that what, that was, that's what it was called, wasn't it? The red-headed league. Um, so, Infantino, he's 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 one of us. Um, but it's strange that that's his argument. That I know what that's like. Therefore, shut up and play football. I mean, I like. As if that gives any credibility to the grossness of what Qatar 2022 represents. The venality, the hypocrisy, the greed. Um, oh yeah, just, just yeah. The, the, naked, the naked, blatant cash grab that it is. And the sports washing monstrosity that it is. Yet another state kind of going, let us let us put on this wonderful show and show you how lovely our culture is. And people are going, you know what? We're just calling we're just calling bullshit on that. And then being told, shut up, just enjoy the football. And the, the players themselves um basically being told you're gonna be penalized if you have anything, any sort of symbols on you, any any armbands that are a very meek form of protest to show solidarity with LGBT people, to show you're actually thinking about this. And then those footballers are told, well, if you wear that, you might, you're going to get a yellow card. And I'm looking at you, England and Wales. Um, they just backed down straight away. Whereas if you look at the, the players of the Iran national team who refused to sing their national anthem in protest at what's happening in Iran, and you thought, well, there's... There, there are players with balls. There are players with the guts and with a moral core that are unafraid to take a position that could could result in very severe consequences when they go back home. Um, and if you do nothing else, if, if this topic interests you at all, just, I recommend going and seeking out the cartoons of David Squires of theguardian.com. Um, go and check out his most recent cartoons. There's about four or five um, of his, his most recent ones where he's focusing on all of this, focusing on exactly what I'm talking about and what he's able to capture in 12 or 16 panels uh, of cartoon um, and his commentary um, and his ability to to recognise the absurdity and the the kind of moral decrepitude of, of these organizations these states um 
hugely moving, really incisive. And I, I couldn't recommend them enough. And it just means you don't have to listen to someone like me or read a long-winded um, moralistic article. David Squires. Go and check him out. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up. There was one other thing I was going to say um, last week when I was talking about preacher men um, and focusing on Bono and Bruce Springsteen, Spike Lee. I felt I wanted to say something about Bob Dylan there as well. Um and just point out that Bob Dylan, in my mind, he doesn't belong to that group. And Bob Dylan, as much as he was um, such a significant voice uh, coming out of the folk movement um, and his songs um, in, in that time spoke to the zeitgeist. And he's, you know, there was such pressure on him to be this voice of, 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 of a generation, the voice of the, the, the oppressed. Um, but he seemed to always actively... Um, refuse that he didn't want that mantle he didn't want that that chalice um, so I felt I, I wanted to make that point last week even though obviously within his his writing um, and his amazing kind of his amazing lyrics he that's where he communicated and like that's a big distinction like I, the, the point that I was trying to make about people like Bruce Springsteen and Bono they were more than happy to take 10 minutes between songs to tell you a story and that clearly showed their their kind of worldview, their values um, and where they were coming from. And Bob Dylan, very much not that, although so very, very brilliant in his own right. Anyway, there you go. I'll leave you with that. I'll leave you with that. Um, okay, that's it. That's it for another week. Thank you very much for listening. And um, yeah, Go and um, go and leave a response. Leave a response there on YouTube or Instagram or, or Facebook or Twitter or wherever. Send me an email at theclearoutlive at gmail.com. And if you like what you hear, if you're a regular listener and you feel, yeah, do you know what? This is a good product. Uh, you can support this. You can support it you know, by just throwing me the price of an old sandwich. <laughs> Or maybe maybe that's maybe that's too much. It's, a sandwich is probably very expensive. Um, I rarely eat out, but you can support me using the Patreon link. That's patreon.com forward slash the clear out. And there's also a supporter link, which is an Acast um, option to to make a one off contribution to the tell. So please do if you're so motivated. But otherwise, just keep listening. Otherwise, just spread the word. Give it a recommend to someone else and just throw me some love on social media. I'd really appreciate it. It just helps kind of grow this thing and nurture it and makes me feel, yeah, it's reaching people. And um, as I I say, uh, I'll keep doing it because I value this thing and I value wellness with attitude, which is what this always is and continues to be. Okay, do take care of yourselves. Do... um, do mind yourselves and if you um yeah maybe if you're dealing with some tough stuff maybe if you're dealing with loss bereavement um you know just hold yourself gently give yourself time and and let it be what it is you'll um you'll get to the other side and yeah it's it's all it's all part of who we are and that's not something to be afraid of okay there you go That's it. That's the final note. I'll leave you with that tone. 
Okay, take it easy. I will talk to you next week. All the best. See you. Bye.